2: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 102 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the big-name guests I've got lined up for you with new VRP Rocks episodes releasing every single Monday. Now, I know I say this every week, but, well, it's true. Today's interview is a cracker. I speak with a wonderful guitar player, a man who's worked with legends like Ronnie James Dio and Whitesnake and with Glenn Hughes in The Dead Daisies. I am, of course, talking about the brilliant Doug Aldrich. Now, in this conversation with Doug, we go into his early years and being inspired by Jeff Beck, his audition with Kiss and why that didn't work out, then those early years with Lion and then in Hurricane, which got huge success in Japan. Then we go proper deep into his years with Ronnie James Dio and David Coverdale and he opens up on the heart-wrenching decision where he had to choose between the two legends. He had to go with one and not the other and the one that he didn't choose took it really badly, as you're going to hear. Then we get into his time now with the Dead Daisies, the band that have got a big tour planned. They've already been touring hard in the US and things are looking better than ever. So there you go. I really hope you enjoy this interview. There's some great stories. And as I said, Doug is very open and honest, especially about that tug of war with Dio and Whitesnake. So here you go. Enjoy my chat with the wonderful guitarist, Doug Aldrich. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Doug. Um, fantastic career you've had, and I'm looking forward to hearing all your stories. And obviously you're coming over to Europe as well to to play with the Dead Daisies, plus the, the release of the new Best Of album. That's all to come. But I want to go right back to the beginning and, and talk to you about a story that I read about you being inspired by your older sister's Jeff Beck records. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I had probably, I probably had already, yeah, I, I had already started to play guitar and I was, just interested in hearing hearing different people. And uh, I actually didn't have a, a uh, record player. I didn't have one, but my sister had one. And so I just went kind of fishing through her collection. And she had a Jeff Beck record that Blow by Blow is, a, is probably, it might be his best solo record ever. They're all amazing. But um, that was done in 1975. So around that time, she got it. And i I got into it, and it was just it just took my took my heart man the the, the feel that he got on that record and um I just you know you could really hear what he, hear his expression on that. it just really hit me deep,
2: yeah, and we sadly lost him at the start of the year, didn't he? so uh, can you reflect on his legacy and and just where you place him in the the pantheon of some of the greatest guitarists we've ever seen?
0: I mean he. He, I saw him play a couple times and, uh, I got to meet him a couple of times. What the, one of the, the most coolest one was, um, he was playing with Carlos Santana. Well, actually, I saw him play him and Jeff Beck. i uh, sorry. Him and Stevie Ray Vaughan did a tour together in 1989. Oh, wow. And I saw that show and that was great. They were kind of trading off and they jammed at the end. Then I saw him at, um, the Greek theater. In Los Angeles and um, Carmine, a piece had invited me to come and he took me backstage. And I, I, you know, I met all these. I mean, I met Carlos Santana and Billy Gibbons and all these people were hanging out. I didn't get to meet Jeff, but I saw the show and it was killer. And I went back home and Carmine called me and I was in bed and he goes, dude, I'm over here at the Sunset Marquis at the bar with Jeff. You should come down. And I, I <laughs> you just imagine the sheets just go whoo, and jumped off. And I, w- I went down there and I met him and he was, he was nice. He was, you know, I mean, after show, he just kind of had a lot of people around him, but he was nice. But then I met him again um, years later, probably 10 years later or something. Uh, David Coverdale and him were friends and he was playing in Reno, Nevada, and he invited David to come and I got to meet him again. And he just he slayed every time he played guitar. I mean, you know. So,
2: and very sad loss to the music world as well. He was still yeah. playing fantastically right to the end.
0: Sudden loss. Very, um, um, yeah. It's horrible that to, you know. I mean, he, at least um, we had we have his music to live on, listen to, and get inspired by. And um, just talking about it makes me want to go back and listen to stuff. And yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's some of the best things you can say about anybody, isn't it? They inspire you and, and just make you want to listen to them. Um, something else early on in your career as well I want to ask you about. Is it is it true that you auditioned for Kiss? And if you did, what happened with all that?
0: They, they didn't offer me enough money, so I said no. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was just a kid, man. I moved out to Los Angeles, and there was all kinds of wackiness happening, and Kiss was looking for a replacement for Ace, and they were working on a record. and. The drummer, Eric Carr, um, his girlfriend had actually seen me play at a club. And I had I had just gotten a band together, looked in the newspaper, joined a band. We're playing in Hollywood. And um, this girl said her boyfriend's Eric Carr and that she thinks I should meet Eric. And then Eric came. A couple, it was like the next week or two weeks later. I can't remember. We played again. And she brought him. And I met him. And then I went down and jammed with the guys at his recording studio and I went and played with them live a couple of times and it was pretty surreal for an 18 year old kid to be like, you know, I mean, I'm, I was 18 going on, I mean, my, my, my maturity level was probably 10, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, I went down and played with them a couple of times and I think we sounded cool, but I, I was just a kid I couldn't hang out with those guys. And I've I've actually figured it out now that if I had been more of a cool hangout, they might have said, okay, let's let's go, you know, but that's a very important part of getting a gig is or being invited to jam with a band and then and then having them maybe say, Hey, I like that guy. Because if you if you're a cool hangout together it's like a cool hang and you get on good and you can laugh and you know, be on the same wavelength, then that's half the battle. And then if you can play, that's the other half. But, um, you know, I think that everything works out for a reason. And I got, I really, it really inspired me to to try and do better, to to, to be better, best I could be.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and things happen at certain times, as you said, and and you did find fame though with with Lion. I mean, Dangerous Attraction, the band's first album came out, but uh, Mike Edwards had a, a serious accident didn't he around the time of the, the second album when it was released? Um, uh, was was the writing already on the wall for the band at that stage, or or was it the accident that kind of caused the the, the disbandment of the band?
0: Yes, for those people who don't know, Lion was my first recording proper recording band, and we. We did not, we were on, you know, we were living in Hollywood. We were playing on the Sunset Strip. And as you know, at that time, there was a lot of bands that were Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Poison. I think Guns N' Roses was one of the last ones, but we were not, we were not like that typical kind of L.A. sound. We, our singer was British and our sound was definitely, our, our songwriting and everything was, was, um not sunset strip sound so we got passed on by a lot of labels but we did finally get a deal because we were we were packing out clubs and stuff but the, the, the label that offered us a deal really didn't support us so we were trying to switch labels legal problems this and that then we put out a second record of kind of backup material like kind of b-sides we and it, it was a cool record but we were trying to show that we were free and that we weren't going to get sued. So we put it on a a little small label and the band ended up breaking up and I ended up, you know, taking a a gig with some other guys, but, um, but it was a really great experience. And it's funny that still now, I mean, the band uh, has a little kind of underground, you know, reputation that's kind of cool. Still, I get signed records sometimes and stuff.
2: Yeah, still loads of view, um, spins and what they call plays or something, whatever they're called on, on Spotify. I was checking them out the other day. And yeah, there's some there's some huge amounts of uh, numbers on there as well. So a lot of people still listening.
0: Oh, really? I didn't know that. I know that somebody bought the rights to release it a few years back. And they're trying to release the second one as well. I don't know where that stands, but um, I'll have to check it out. The, one yeah, of the yeah, things the- that people remember about Lion was we did um, that record company, the one good thing about that record company because they they charged they they overcharged us like we owed them millions of dollars to soft that record for no reason but um they did re- we did get to co-write the theme song for a transformers movie the the old 80s toys and it's a lot of people first heard about the band from that song it's kind of funny you know Transformers more than meets the eye all that stuff and um yeah so we got some movies we got in some movie soundtracks that was kind of cool
2: yeah very cool indeed and then you're in uh hurricane and then bad moon rising came along and that was a band that got a lot of success a lot of traction in japan especially didn't it
0: yeah that was around a time when um when we had lion had done well in japan so they wanted to kind of carry on with with me and cal swan and cal had actually secured the deal i was doing uh hurricane and also had been Doing some, I recorded with House of Lords and uh, did some sessions with different people, whatever would come up, you know? And, um, but Cal got that, that deal secured and then I joined up and we did three or four Bad Moon Rising records and mainly Japan and parts of Europe. We had done really well, especially in mm-hmm. Japan. It was, it was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, an interesting question that uh, some one of my listeners asked me to ask you. Um, is you, you've obviously worked with all the different projects and bands or anything like that, but has has there ever been an offer that you've rejected and looked back and, and kind of regretted not taking it up?
0: No, I mean, I, the only thing I could say is, I mean, I I had a couple of things that um that I turned down because I was trying to be loyal to Lion. I really wanted Lion to make it through the. Through the uh, the dark days, you know, and yeah. so I turned a few things down. One of them was was working with Ronnie Dio earlier on, around nineteen eighty nine, something like that. And um, so, of course, later on down the road, ten years later, twelve years later, I joined Dio again. Or I mean, I joined it properly. And I only can imagine what we would have done had I joined it back in the time. But um, you know. Everything everything works out how it's meant to, you know, you leave it you leave it in the in the hands of the higher power and just go with it and do your best, you know. And so maybe it was maybe it was a good maybe if I had joined Deal, maybe I would have been out of deal earlier and wouldn't have been a part of Killing the Dragon, which is an album I really love. I love to be a part of. And maybe it was too would I wouldn't have the timing wouldn't have been right to join Whitesnake, you know, with White Snake. Um mm-hmm. I got that gig because when I was on tour with Dio for Killing the Dragon, David Coverdale saw us playing and said, hey, I think he'd be a great guy for the Whitesnake and I want to reform the band. So we had a great run together. And so you never know what happens if you yeah. look back, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned you mentioned Ronnie there and killing the dragon. I mean, uh, what was it like being in the studio with Ronnie? Then what was what was his energy like, and and what was his voice like up close? Well, he
0: was his his powerful. His voice was pure power. I mean, he just sang like a bird. His pitch was always perfect. He would just to you know sometimes singers will. Um, you know, we were doing that on Pro Tools, so that that was there was a transition where. When you're singing on a tape, piece of tape, and tape machine, old school recording, you had to sing it, you know, three or four times, and you had to sing it good, so that you, they could build a a comp a composite vocal out of that. With with Pro Tools, you know, you could anybody could sing two or three times, and then they could take the best bits, and then they could auto tune it, and stretch it, and put it in time, and do all this stuff. But Ronnie didn't have to do any of that stuff. Man, he just sang. He would sing the song once, and then the engineer would say, "Like, okay, let's go grab. What, what do you think?" Or he would ask Ronnie, "What do you think?" And Ronnie would go, like, "Let's grab this line. Let me redo that one." And he punch in and do it, just like it would be, just like he was recording on tape. But you know, he didn't use all, he didn't need all that technology. Um, And then his energy in the studio was exciting, man. For me, I mean, coming, never forget. You know, the first day I rolled up, I opened my truck and I pulled. I was getting ready to pull out. An amplifier and this big uh, road crew on Ronnie's road crew comes up and goes hey don't t- don't touch that amp you're our guitar player you you can't be lifting anything like that anymore that's my job you know I'm like okay and immediately I felt like I was part of a family and Ronnie was super excited to to you know see what I would do with the songs he would basically sit with his back to me and he'd have these okay. these glasses on and he'd be doing crossword puzzles all day long just doing and and then I'd be playing and I'd go Ronnie what do you think about that and he'd be like what and I'd be like that part he goes let me hear it and he would go i love it you know sounds great mate you know and whatever and then he he would he might have a suggestion like i think mostly with with my my rhythm guitar playing he was pretty much i don't even remember him making any comments other than that he was he liked it a lot. And then there were sometimes with solos and stuff where he might say, like, you know, I want you to really make this, he would inspire me. He would, he would say like, you know, Richie used to do this and this and this. And just him telling the story would inspire me. And then, you know, it, it just made you play better.
2: Yeah. You mentioned Richie there. Did he ever tell any wonderful stories about his time with, with Richie Blackmore and Rainbow? He told
0: a few stories. He and Jimmy Bain was in the band at that time. Uh Jimmy was a big part of the Dio sound, as as everyone knows. I mean, Jimmy co-wrote a lot of that stuff with Vivian as well and, and Vinnie. But um Jimmy was definitely a talented, a really talented bass player. And he, he Ronnie told stories that Richie and Richie, Richie used to kind of terrorize Jimmy a little bit, like play tricks on him and stuff. and uh, one of them was pretty brutal, like a really scary trick with, involving fire, you know, but, um, okay. you know, it was all in, you know, Richie's sense of humor. And then there was one time when they were working, he said he was talking about they were working on, um, Long Live Rock and Roll, the album Long Live Rock and Roll. And they went and did a seance, like with uh Ouija board. I don't know if you heard, of, you know what Ouija board is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were doing a seance and, uh, Some spirits took over the. It was a shot glass they were using instead of a whatever the ouija piece is, and it started to move by itself. And Ronnie was he. You could see him getting chills telling the story. It was like it was real, and it was basically because the spirit that they were communicating with wanted to talk to Blackmore, and Richie wasn't there, so the spirit was the spirit was upset.
2: Where's Blackmore?
0: (laughs) You know. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh funny i was speaking to uh tony carey recently who was on the rising record and he was saying pretty much the same sort of thing he was terrorized by by richie at times and the seances and things like that were involved as well
0: yeah i know I, I mean I, I never heard i never spoke of that with uh, you know with any of the other rainbow guys or deal guys that was just something that ronnie mentioned one time and it was pretty spooky and he told me that he never would he never um, ever did a Ouija board after that, it was, um, and then it's interesting, just this is off topic totally. But, um, during the 2020 pandemic shut down, all that stuff, I basically took that opportunity to, I was stuck at home. So I took that opportunity to do some construction at my house and I had to move to another house I rented. And this lady, she's like, I got furniture. You don't need anything. Just for, just, you guys can come stay here. Here's the rent, whatever. And I was looking in a closet to put my son's clothes and I found a Ouija board and I was like, Oh shit. And I took, the, I carefully took it. I think I might have took it. I might have took it with a blanket and put it on the top of it, took it, put it out in the garage and just walked away. I don't want any, anything to do with that fucking thing.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and as you mentioned there, you went from from uh, Dio and the wonderful Ronnie to to David Coverdale, who's another incredible vocalist. I mean, he always comes across as an incredible, uh, fun spirit. Um, what was your time like with David then?
0: Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, we we hit it off. You know, I was only I was only kind of planning. We were only planning to do two month tour, and he, you know, David done very well. He, he was just he wanted to bring Whitesnake back. He had an offer mm-hmm. to to do a co-headline tour with um, the Scorpions and and uh, we went out and we had such a blast and he and I hit it off and we decided to keep going and keep touring and eventually you know, Ronnie, I had to kind of decide what band I was going to be in and okay. that was difficult because I loved Ronnie and I went back to Ronnie in 2005 and did some work with Ronnie and he said, Look, man, I I really want you to come back and you gotta make up your mind. And I said, Well, I'm gonna I will, Ronnie. So I I spoke to Up to David Coverdale, and I explained, Look, I need to two things. One, if you want White Snake to move forward, we need new we need to make some new music together or as a band, I meant. And um because I said otherwise, you know I i really I'm had just done this little run with Ronnie and had a blast, and I, and that's when David said, "Yeah, I, I, you and I will be in the studio together at some point. Don't know when, but we will." And um once we, once David and I started writing together, it was really clear that we were on a, on a good roll. And in the end, we wrote thirty some odd songs together, and we co-produced everything together. We had a little production team called the Brutal Brothers. And because uh, we would be like brutal on each other, like nothing was, nothing was. You know, we wouldn't let anything just slide by. It was always, you know, we wouldn't let anything slip through unless it was good enough. So, and, we, and I'm really proud of that time with White Snake. You know.
2: And you mentioned they having to have the conversation with, with, with Ronnie. Then, so, I mean, how did that go?
0: Not good. <laughs> he basically <he laughs> kicked me out of his house. He said. Get the fuck out of here and don't come back. You know, basically, that's what he said. He looked me right in the eye. He, I was doing a guitar solo on something, and um, we were just supposed to be writing. We were actually we were you know working on some music and stuff, and he uh, was looking at his computer, and he goes, "I just want you to put a guitar solo on this this thing." You know, so I was doing that. And he's like, "Great!" And he goes, "Oh, good news!" He turned around. And he goes, "We got tour dates coming up." next year and I had already or later this year and I had already committed with David um for another leg and I so I was I felt you know it was bad timing but I said listen Ronnie I've committed to David so you know that's that's what's what's going to happen and that's when he basically just said well fuck you get the fuck out That
2: must have been incredibly difficult for you because obviously you had a great relationship with Ronnie as well, didn't you?
0: Yeah, we did. And I I never spoke of it really that hard, but that's what he said to me. And I was I was upset. I was emotional. You know, I was really like, like, I mean, of course I was glad to be working with David, but uh, I was, I'm not interested in pissing anybody off. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to. I don't mind standing my ground if I believe in something but I just felt like I was put in a weird position really quickly and I had to make a decision and Ronnie basically was just not having it. He he that confirmed maybe that for him that I was kind of you know fitting in well and and enjoying my time working with David and that was me kind of having to make a choice which really upset him cuz you know Ronnie was not second best to anybody, not Karel not anybody. Ronnie was, he was the man, he is the man on the silver mountain. And I felt that way always about him it is just, uh, down to commitment and, you know, the music business side of it, things like that. And there's, you know, there's always people that'll say like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And again, like we spoke about, you know, you, you basically do your best, you try to do good. And and try to make the right decisions and it's not always going to be the right decisions. You just got to roll with it, you know?
2: Indeed. And that kind of started a, a really good relationship, obviously said with, with David Coverdale and a long tenure in the band. And, and there was new music, the first new music for Snake for, for about a decade at that point, wasn't it? So getting yeah. in there and, and being part of that family, because obviously the White Snake family is, is huge and so incredible. Some of the names that have gone through that band as well. So that must yeah. be really heartening for you to, to be a, a strong part of that group as well.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, like, like, you know, the, the feeling of creating music anytime with anybody is really when you're, when you're excited about it, when you're into what you're doing and you, you're in this little room and you create, you know, you have a have a musical melody or drum beat that turns into a song. And then you've got, you know, both Ronnie and David were in this room with me working at various times and David more than Ronnie, but um but there was a couple of times where I'd, you know, have David here and he'd start singing. I'd play something, he'd start singing, and it was just like goosebumps, you know. And <laughs> the song Good to be bad was one of them. I was sitting right here, right where you are, and I said, I got this idea. And he I said, here's kind of the melody, here's what I'm hearing. Which I never really told a singer like what I was thinking because I, I was always afraid that they would get mad at me or they would say, like, I can, I don't, I'll do it myself, you know, don't worry about it. But I said, I got this idea, bah, 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 hey, tell me, babe, what's in your mind? And David goes, oh, ooh, I like that. And then all of a sudden he sang it. It was just like, whoa, that's what I was hearing, you know? And so it's very, it's a great feeling to have a piece of music that you're, you've just created and nobody knows about it. Not your family, not your wife, not your friends nobody except for you and whoever you're creating with you know it's really an exciting amazing feeling and uh me and david had a lot of those so it was cool
2: Very cool indeed and obviously you're really really busy with different bands and different projects but your attention is back on the Dead Daisies now and you've just completed a tour across North America, Resurrected Tour, that's gone fantastically well, Some been some really fun videos on YouTube that I've been watching, you guys look like you had an absolute blast, John Karabi's back in the band but you're coming over to Europe, you're hitting the skies, you're crossing across most of mainland Europe, we're talking Italy, and plenty of dates in Germany and the Netherlands and then Scandinavia and, and loads of places, France and all that sort of stuff as well so are you looking forward to coming to europe because europe loves its rock doesn't it
0: of course europe is uh, you know it's very it's it's very important to uh, you know for our kind of music heavy classic rock 70s 80s bass rock um we you know we love to be able to visit europe it's uh, because it's such a it, its it's such a different a lot of different cultures so it's like just in in a you know four-hour drive you're going to a place where it's a new language and totally different you know scene happening and it's really exciting and the people uh the the fans and the friends are are very dedicated as they should be because you know we're all trying to we're all trying to be keeping our music alive not just those of us who play it but those like for me as a as a Fan of music that it's still every day I listen to it. My bands, my something new I might find, whatever, but I need it, you know. And I need to, you know, if it wasn't for me getting the chance to go play live, I would definitely probably be going out to watch more live because there's a great energy about live music, whether you're playing it or listening to it. Yeah. And this lineup is my favorite Dead Days lineup. I mean, we've got. I mean, we've had some great lineups and, and I mean, even prior to me, there was some amazing lineups, but, um, having John Karabi come back, he's just a straight up, no bullshit rock and roll killer. I mean, he's just, and he's dead funny. I mean, he, he, he's really an amazing person because he's so talented, but he's very down to earth, very, very down to earth. um, and super talented songwriter guitarist but he's he's an amazing singer and a great frontman. and then we've got our new secret weapon which is michael Devon, who um it was is best known for his time with white snake and kind of like after i split he was took over it was david's kind of you know eyes and ears right hand man uh he david loved michael and um he, uh, you know, as things all do, you know, change happens and, and Michael was, was doing, um, um, the guess who for a while. And we, we decided, let's, let's check out, let's ask Michael if he wants to, you know, come in the Dead Daisies and he did it. And this band, this lineup is just smoking, not because of me, but because of, you know, basically because of the energy that Krabi and Devin brought in. Devin and Devin and Tishy together have Tishy on drums. Have Those guys have done thousands of gigs together and they just are locked. There's just, it's next level from anything that I've ever played with. Tishy and Devin together is, is there's nothing that's better than that that I've ever played with. Um, and then, you know, Karabi's amazing and me and David are doing, you know, he, he's got the Australian Aussie rock, almost punk rock style. I've got my thing going on. And we're having a great time. And we're, the show is exciting. We've got a whole new set list that's, um, as you mentioned, kind of a compilation of the best of album that we just released uh, last month.
2: It's very cool. And uh, we mentioned, what, what can we expect from the shows? And you mentioned the uh, the, the tour and everything. Best place to, for people to go is thedeaddaisies.com. All the information's on there. You can get your tickets on there. You can see the dates and everything all the way across Europe. So best place is thedeaddaisies.com. And we've got to mention the Best Of album as well. It's a it's a fantastic record. I mean, there's, there's 20 songs on there, 18 songs from the six records that have already been released. There's a couple of unreleased tracks on there as well. So talk to us about those.
0: Those were extras from the last record we did with Glenn Hughes that were from um, the um, Radiance album. And initially we we were talking about doing kind of a concept album back during the the lockdown times. We had written a bunch of stuff and it was, um, you know, it was pretty deep, very cinematic. And then when we got back on the road and decided to just do a straight up rock record, we ended up with, with Radiance. But we had some of those other ideas left over and we wanted those to be on the best stuff. So just as a, as a teaser, or something that, you know, they were songs that, um, that were really, really kind of went pretty deep. You know, like this one song, The Healer is maybe the heaviest, darkest riff we've ever played okay. and let it set you free. Although we had a song called Set It Free on, uh, Set You Free on, um, The Burn It Down album. This is Let It Set You Free. And, uh, it's a beautiful, simple ballad, you know, that's, uh, it's really nice, nice song. But the other songs you mentioned, there's a couple of songs that we've, that, you know, from each album, including one of the very first album, the very first EP or album, a song called Miles in Front of Me. And we do an updated version of that live, which is really exciting. And basically that, that's kind of the template for the live show. But we're we're adding and subtracting songs periodically, and the whole thing about the show is the people that are there are having a blast. There's even people that have seen the band three or four or five times have come up to me after this tour and said, "Man, that was the best show you you guys have ever done." And I agree. I mean, it's it's um, it just feels different. You know, it feels it feels like especially because of Michael and John, it's like it's next level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody wants to check out, then like I said, go on YouTube and look for the Dead Daisies on there because there's some tour diaries and things, and you can see the the fans' own responses, and they're all having an absolute blast. You definitely there's, can tell that. Uh, but from
0: oh, there's always some goofiness. Where, you know it's like,
2: <laughs> they, it gets to the
0: point where we're like we're walking around. And we have a, a a photographer that that's with us that does that stuff. We don't actually do the social media. We don't even know what half the time what's gonna be used or not. So. You get used to having a camera on you, you just start goof. Whenever you see it, you start goofing, you know, goofing off and making jokes and screwing around. And that's inevitably the stuff that gets on there. So it's pretty interesting for people to, to watch it might be embarrassing for us a little bit
2: though. Makes it better for us. Uh, But just in terms of uh, the Best Of then, just I I like to try and push people to to buy the physical copies because it's so much better for the bands these days. And I've got to say the vinyl version of this Best Of is incredible. I mean, the visuals of it, there's um, a 16-page book on it, there's there's stickers, there's posters, there's everything in there. But the actual vinyl itself, it's it's kind of red-spattered, it looks like blood-spattered. It's a really visually brilliantly striking-looking record. so, if anyone can and is able to, definitely get hold of the vinyl copy of this record.
0: I heard it was real blood. They, <laughs> it, they put it in the vinyl and they stirred it in, or they made the vinyl and they somebody got cut and splattered it. Something. Well, there you go.
2: You believe me? of course always <laughs> no but it is it's fantastic and as i said before check out the dead because that is the best way to keep in touch with everything that's going on with the band and you can see the tour dates you can get the album you can see the news and everything else all the updates are on there aren't they
0: yeah and and, and of course you know every social there's the dead daisy social so um there's always stuff on instagram and especially on facebook it's they the band has got a, a good a good following on facebook so there's a lot of Stuff that's on Facebook that's not on Instagram, so check them all out.
2: Fantastic stuff. Well, best of luck with the, the tour across Europe. I know you're going to Japan before that as well, so I hope that all goes well. And uh, looking forward to to seeing the live shows when it hits this side of the Atlantic.
0: Thank you, brother. Look forward to seeing you as soon as we can get there. And uh, and thank you for what you're doing. We appreciate you guys, and definitely um, check out the new album. You hope you really, you know, I think you'll really like it. And we'll see you out there.
2: There you go, the brilliant Doug Aldridge there. Another fascinating interview, I hope you agree. A great look behind the scenes when songwriting with the likes of Ronnie Dio and David Coverdale. You could also feel the wrench when he spoke about letting Ronnie down as well, couldn't you? Anyway, as I say, if you can, go out and watch The Dead Daisies on tour. Good old-fashioned rock and roll played by master musicians. And if you can stretch to it as well, always try and check out the best of vinyl that they've got. The Dead Daisies. It's visually very striking. A beautiful-looking set. It really is. Check it out if you can. Or just give it a listen if you can't manage to buy it. Please do. Just stream and listen to The Dead Daisies when you get a chance. Anyway, that's it for me and this week's VRP Rocks. Thanks again for listening make sure you subscribe to vrp rocks on your podcast app so that you get every single episode they drop every single monday more great guests and brilliant stories to come over the next few weeks please leave a vrp rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use as well it makes a big difference and check out the vrp rocks youtube channel and gives a like and follow and all that sort of stuff on the social media channels too just search for vrp rocks a big thanks to all of you who interact each week on all the socials and emails as well i really do enjoy reading everything But until next week, then, take care.
1: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
2: What's the problem? What's the
1: problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
2: Were they shop? Were
1: they shop? Would you kill?
2: Yes. I don't
1: know. My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast.